Imagine what they could have done with Tom Cruise. They could have incorporated him into the show. He could have done a wild stunt. He could have presented Best Picture. You know, he and Kimmel are friends. They could have done another video. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Matt Bellany to talk about the Oscars. What worked on this year's broadcast? What didn't? What can be done to get more people to watch? How were the after parties? And of course, a big question on Matt's mind, where the hell was Tom Cruise? Matt and I dig into all the angles. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Friday, Powers That Be listeners. I hope your brackets are doing okay. Just kidding. I hope everyone's are terrible and mine is good. I'm joined today by Matt Bellany, who is at the Oscars. I don't want to look back on the Oscars. I don't want to do a play-by-play. But there's a lot to discuss about what worked and what didn't at this year's broadcast. Maybe the after parties. And then maybe what could be better next year. Matt, I saw some of your pictures from the Oscars. You did a Twitter takeover for Puck. You posted this selfie. (laughs) And it's just like... For people out there, like I think everyone in the country would love to have a chance to go to Oscars. You have this like pained like industry look on your face, like here the fuck I am again. <laughs> and it reminded me of like me being at like CPAC or like the Democratic Convention, right. and you're just like, oh my god, okay. Like my friend, I have a couple friends who work in music, and like they've been going to Coachella for like 20 years, and like okay, fine, we're working again this weekend, and it's not. <laughs> so does that mean it's not fun for you at this point? A lot of similarities between the Oscars and CPAC. You know, there's uh, people <laughs> bloviating on stage. Everyone hits the bar after the first 20 minutes. A lot of empty chairs. Mm-hmm. There's awards that are given out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I complain about it. There are worse jobs in the world. But you, you start to question your life choices when you've gone to an award show every year for the past 10 or 12 years and never won or been nominated for an award. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's fine. And this year was kind of a weird show because everyone wondered how it would go down after the slap mm. last year. And it turns out that the Academy decided to do a straight down the middle 
boring, your grandmother's Oscars, where there were no chances taken. Kimmel was funny, but other than that yeah, monologue, I thought, he was great. Was, I thought he handled the Will Smith stuff really well. Totally. He's a pro. But other than some really emotional speeches, which are always nice, there wasn't really much there. They, you know, they went on too long. They gave away all the categories on stage. It just, and the biggest problem that the Oscar has, and I wrote about this for Puck, is that there are no stars. Where are the big stars? There were a few legitimate stars there. Michael B. Jordan, Nicole Kidman, but... So many stars just didn't show up. And the biggest of all, Tom Cruise, who was nominated as a producer for Top Gun, just decided not to come. So this was funny. And we talked about this last time on the podcast. Steven Spielberg said Top Gun Maverick saved the box office industry. His co-star in the movie, Jennifer Connelly, also said Tom Cruise should should be nominated for Best Actor for similar reasons. It was a running theme throughout the night. Like this was like the biggest in-person Oscars since the pandemic. And everyone was talking about how movies are back. The box office is back. And then, you know, and you said, you mentioned too, in your, this is, and this is your word rant. You wrote a rant on this (laughs) on Puck. Uh, James Cameron wasn't there either. The, who, who did Avatar, which was nominated and one of the biggest movies of the year. You know, it was pretty, pretty crazy that even, and also fucking Top Gun was nominated. It wasn't like Tom Cruise just has to be there as yeah. a diplomat for the no, film Avatar industry. was nominated, but Cameron was not nominated. He was not nominated right. as, as director, but it's just insane. Imagine what they could have done with Tom Cruise. They could have incorporated him into the show. He could have done a wild stunt. He could have presented Best Picture. You know, he and Kimmel are friends. They could have done another video. Like, you know, he did a Top Gun parody for the commercial. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so much that you do with Top Gun, and that's what the fans want to see. If Tom Cruise presents himself as this ambassador for the film industry, he came on screen literally before everybody saw Top Gun and said, hey, everybody, I'm Tom Cruise. Welcome back to the movies. And then the biggest promotional platform for the movies, the Oscars, he just doesn't show up. And it wasn't like, you know, if there was some personal thing going on, whatever. I And, you know, I said this in my piece. Like, if there's something we don't know about, he's got a sick family member or something like that, I apologize. But his stated reason for not coming was that he needed to get back to his set. He needed to work. Mind you, his producing partner, Chris McQuarrie, was there at the show and flew to L.A. just for the show. So, What is he working producing- on? What's he's he working shooting? on the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, the second one. There's a part two. Mm. He's working on that right now. The, it's just a huge fail. It's a huge fail on Cruz's part. It's a huge fail on the Academy's part, frankly, that they couldn't mm. make him feel special enough and get him incorporated enough because they thought he was coming. They, mm. as, as, as late as last week, they thought he was coming. Kimmel was writing jokes as if he was going to be there, and they scrapped a mm. lot of those jokes. And, you know, he made one reference to Scientology and whatever but Cruz you know there's three things going on here he was not nominated for actor which he wanted to be he has been the subject of many Scientology jokes throughout the season and he was probably afraid that he was going to be bombarded either by Kimmel or some other some other presenter um, with Scientology jokes and Mm -hmm. it's a situation third out of his control this is a guy whose media appearances are so scripted now that there is nothing left to chance. He did an entire rollout of the Top Gun movie without answering a single question about Scientology, just going one question one question down a press line where people basically asked him how great he is, and he is just Mr. Movie Star smiling and moving on to the next thing. So he didn't want a situation where he could be exposed 
You know, he didn't know what it was going to be like sitting there. But honestly, and so, there's some reports out there that like he didn't want to be there because of Nicole Kidman was there, which I don't quite believe because they could have fixed that. They could have done something. I feel like it's been a while that. since yeah. that. Uh, the, 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 the bigger problem here is movie stars in general do not want to go to the Oscars. And that is a larger issue that the Academy really has to fix if it wants this show to be viable long term. I just can't believe you don't think Andrea Riseborough is a movie star, dude. Um, I will say... I mean, there were stars there. Like, legitimately, you know, <laughs> cool young stars. Andrew Garfield was there. Florence Pugh. You know, Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors were there. Like, there were stars mm. there, but not in any number and not what you need. And the funny thing is, if you look around L.A. on Sunday night, you go to the Beyonce party... There's tons of stars at the Beyonce party. Bradley Cooper showed up there. I mean, Usher, like Leo DiCaprio was out and about. The, you go look at the party photos and all of Hollywood goes to the parties. They just don't mm -hmm. go to the actual show. And there's a bunch mm -hmm. of reasons for that. I mean, basically, cell phones and cameras have kind of killed the allure of being mm -hmm. at these shows because you feel like you're in a petting zoo. Everyone's coming up to you, asking you for a photo, taking photos pictures of you eating and you never know how it's gonna be portrayed. The red carpet can be brutal. You make one pithy comment like Hugh Grant did to that interviewer. And next thing you know, the internet piles on and you're a villain for 24 hours. That's another problem. The other thing is, I think people don't see it as a safe space anymore because jokes and like what happened last year with Will Smith, it's just kind of a fear situation. You go to an award show, mm. next thing you know, you're the butt of a joke or you're in an awkward situation and they just say, screw it, I don't need that. Yeah, I mean, I like Hugh Grant and Katie and I were making dinner and like that was that interview happened to come on in the background like we had the pregame show on and i was like and look you and i are both students of like watching professional people be interviewed <laughs> and i was like this is weird and like why the f just show up and be nice and put on your f game face even if you, like ashley graham was the name of the woman who was yes. interviewing him he was so cold not interested in talking to her just pretend like smile your way through it this is everyone does this on the red carpet you know, I know. No one but on the red carpet is like Robert Cairo. Just you know deal what? with it. <laughs> I I actually take the opposite view here. I say good for Hugh Grant. The whole award show industrial complex is so silly. And he Fair. is a guy. If you know him, he has an acerbic wit to him. He this is not the first time he's done this in a public place. This is the guy who referred to his face as looking like a scrotum on the Oscars. <laughs> and that was funny. He, he you know it's like he's not gonna. Play the game. You know, she asks, who are you wearing? It's like, uh, you know, he's, he's like my tailor did my suit. Like, he's not going to play that game. And, you know, she asks him, what was it like to film the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion? He's like, I was in it for literally three seconds. Yeah. It's a great response. He was literally in, three, in it for three <laughs> seconds. Like, that was a dumb question. <laughs> I miss the Joan Rivers days where it was like combat on the red carpet where you would go in there knowing she was going to say something rude or put you on the spot for the audience's benefit. People forget, like, the audience is the one that they need to tune in and care about this stuff in order to make this entire business work. So you can have a little humility and be fun and not, you know, the, the internet just killed all that. That's such a good point. Uh, Matt, when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit more about what the Oscars can do to fix this next year and also what some of these after parties are like. Hey, 
Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Welcome back, everyone. Matt, one thing you said that jumped out at me about stars was like the TV experience itself lacks big stars. But I spent a lot of time on social media and like on TikTok and Snap and Instagram and Twitter. Like there are some stars there that are not legacy stars, but are up and comers and like really famous among young people like Austin Butler's a good example. Anna DeArmas, Paul Mescal, like these guys are like you know, heartthrobs on the internet. And while they weren't like focal points necessarily during the broadcast, like videos of them 
this also gets to your point about cell phones. Like we're everywhere on social media in the last few days of them dressed up, of them mingling, of them partying. There was a video of Haley Lou Richardson, again, not superstar famous at all, but she was a sort of quirky White Lotus character this season saying like she was really tired when she got to the after parties and wanted to go home. Like, (laughs) and that kind of stuff like goes viral. And so like as a moment, I feel like the Oscars are a vehicle for a younger generation of stars, but just in a completely different way. Like the cameras, the director isn't cutting away to Paul Mezcal in the audience, you know, but he is cutting away to Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. And I think that that part sometimes gets lost in the conversation about the viewership of the Oscars. And I I had Ben Winston, who's a award show producer of the Grammys on my podcast, the town a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about this. Everyone writes about how the audience for award shows has come down so significantly on television. The ratings for this year's Oscars were about 18.8 million people tuned in, which is a 12, 13% increase from last year, but is way down from pre pandemic when these shows were generating 30, sometimes 40 million million viewers on linear TV. But when you look at the impressions that these shows create on social media, it is an ecosystem that is really, really gigantic. I mean, it's hard to even assess the impact of these shows because the littlest video or the littlest picture Mm -hmm. of a dress, those things can go viral and be really influential to the audience. The Academy did an interesting thing this year where they had a partnership with TikTok where they put the speeches on TikTok almost in real time and essentially seeded TikTok with the actual speeches as they were happening before, you know, the entire community could put them up there. And they see it as a way to engage with the younger audience that just isn't going to watch a three and a half hour award show. And I think that really is the future because the craziest thing is that the Oscars was not available to stream. They were not on Disney's owns ABC, which airs the show. Uh-huh. Disney did not put the Oscars on Disney Plus or on Hulu, both of which it owns. And the reason it didn't do that is because the affiliates of ABC, which are not owned by Disney, all of them, some are owned independently, they would have had a meltdown. And they get in their contracts, the Oscars air exclusively on the ABC network. And it's just a, a horrible situation because they're handcuffed into these deals that are essentially preventing a younger audience from watching the show, at least as it exists on linear. So they've got to figure out something to do here. I think they really should go into that deal and renegotiate it and you know pay off the affiliates, do whatever they need to do to get that show on streaming because every year that it's not available is another year that the audience doesn't pay attention as much as it should. A thousand percent. I mean, you just, like anecdotally, my 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 brother and I grew up watching the Oscars like back in the day. Like we would do like Oscar pools with our family friends and all all that kind of stuff. That that's gone by the wayside as the size of the broadcast has diminished over the years. But him and his girlfriend were out in Sacramento, like texting my family, like what's going on at the Oscars? We're because they're cord cutters. We can't watch it, so they just went out and like bought like dinner ingredients and we're doing some shopping and getting some errands done. And we're like, oh. How times have changed, like because we used to just like plan ourselves in front of the TV to watch I know. this stuff. It's and, a like, total fail. They're not even. I mean, they're like in their late thirties. They're not even Gen Z, and they're. But that's, those are the people that should be watching. You know, they grow. Mm-hmm. They grow into it, and you know, it's a it's a real issue because the license fee that ABC pays is so high. It's almost a hundred million dollars every Whoa. year, and 
they need to make that money back. And they do it via charging more and more for advertising. They had those awkward ad integrations into the show this year where they mm-hmm. had the trailer for Little Mermaid, which was an ad. They had that weird Warner Brothers propaganda video, which was all about like the 100 years of Warner Brothers. That was a paid ad during the show. And they're doing that based on this old mentality of a linear audience. And I just think that they need to go back into those deals and be creative about the show. And I think, you know, if they do that, they could get a younger audience because it's not, you know, people do still care as we see from all the social media activity and all Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, a million podcasts and a million commentators just eating up the content. It's just the actual show. It's a little bit like what's happening in sports too. But yes, the actual show is not as big a draw as it was. All right. I have one question for you and then I'm going to finish with a pop quiz. But Mm -hmm. the question, I've never been to any of these Oscar parties. Take me next year. But which parties did you go to and what are, the, what are these things like? Is it just like any kind of industry mixer, like open bar, nice outfits? I'm pretty tame on Oscar night because I'm so exhausted and it's sort of the end of the season. And so there are the way it works is that there's the governor's ball, which is right after the show that everyone kind of stops by and there's food. The Wolfgang Puck catering for it is actually really good. It's kind of mm. nuts. They they are cooking for like a couple thousand people and the food is surprisingly good. Um, I always kind of plant over by the sushi bar. And then <laughs> after that, the studios usually will have a party for their talent. The big party to go to was the A24 party on Sunday night, which was at the Soho House. And that one was like, you know, I didn't go, just I was exhausted and I knew it would be swarmed. But that one, Paramount had a party, Warner Brothers had a party, even though they did not have a winning film, Elvis got shut out. And then Vanity Fair does their party. And Vanity Fair, most people go to Vanity Fair, most of the stars go. It's a weird party though, because it's like half stars and then it's like half middle brand managers from Maybelline and like random advertisers of Vanity Fair that just, they get to go because they spend money with the magazine. So it's got this kind of like, and also they allow cell phones. They say they don't, but people have cell phones and there's a red carpet. So it's kind of a press event. The real party that everyone wants to go to is the Beyonce Jay-Z gold party, which is at the Chateau. And that one is no phones, no press, no red carpet, nothing, just a party. That is the real exclusive party that, uh, alas, I was not invited to. That's where the weird stuff happens. I want to get Yes, to that exactly. So, I mean, the A24 things sound cool, too. I mean, they're crossing the line from being cool indie into being kind of mainstream at this point, <laughs> but good for them. Also, by the way, shout out to Daniel Scheinert, who was one of the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once, for shouting out his public school teachers who showed him the light back in the day. I love that moment. All right, last thing, Matt, pop quiz. Uh, Morning Consult did a poll the other day, just before the Oscars came out, and they asked Americans what your favorite Oscar Best Picture winner is of all the things that came to mind. There were no prompts. They just asked people. Hmm. What do you think number one was? I'm going to bet either Titanic or Forrest Gump. Dude, good job. Forrest Gump. 76% of Americans said... Forrest Gump was their favorite Best Picture winner, followed by Titanic uh, at 65%. And then down the line, Rocky, The Godfather, Rain Man, 
Sound of Music, 54% of Americans saying the Sound of Music is their favorite Best Picture winner is a dubious piece of data. I'm not sure about yeah, that. Yeah, and how would you even remember? I think most people polled yeah. these days wouldn't even remember that. I know. I, I, was, I was just guessing those two movies because they did the best at the box office. I mean, they were both the number one movie of their year. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a rare instance where the Academy taste lined up with the public's taste. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, we You're see saying Nomadland mo- wasn't a huge hit? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and even this year with Everything Everywhere, it was a hit. 100 million worldwide for a movie that cost about 25 million. But it was not Avatar. You know, it was not Top Gun, both of which were nominated, but didn't end up being the pick. Right, right. All right, Matt. Thanks so much. Everyone subscribe and listen to The Town, which is Matt's podcast on the Ringer Network. Uh, you can also find him here, of course, on The Powers That Be and at Puck where he's headquartered, obviously, dude. All right, man, hope your brackets are good. Yeah, we'll see. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.